Hello, listeners. Welcome to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden. For the last year and a half, we've been exploring superstitious practices from around the globe. The short stories told here may be fantastical, but each and every one is inspired by very real beliefs. After today's episode, this show will be going on hiatus. I've been honored to be your host for so many peculiar tales, but don't go away just yet. This is our 81st episode, and it's going to be a special one. Today's superstition comes from the Bible itself, specifically the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 18. It says the following. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. Six, six, six. And the man it represents has fascinated biblical scholars for centuries. Many questions about the meaning of the number have arisen, like, is it a hidden code? an esoteric theological reference, or, as many fundamentalist Christians claim, a clue towards the coming of the Antichrist. Because of this mystery and its satanic implications, 666 has joined the ranks of unlucky numbers. But while the number 13 may be an evil omen, 666 is worse, representing evil itself. To many, encountering this number in your daily life is a sign you've had a brush with the devil. And depending on what you believe, this could mean a curse or a sign of the end times. Coming up, I'll tell you a story that begins with a witch hunt and ends with an apocalypse. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The end is upon us. Outside my window, the sky is black. The sounds of the city are swallowed by that of the maelstrom. I must finish my story while my study is still safe. The year is 2066. Not 24 hours ago, the apocalypse was set in motion. Not by a sudden rise in Satanism or a pagan revolution, but by a witch hunt. It was foretold in my tales not long ago, foretold in my stories about broomsticks, familiars, witches' marks and sabbaths. But it is too late to revisit those pages. I must speak of more recent events, starting with a hate-filled mob in Massachusetts where a man claimed he had found the Antichrist. 
Amongst the screaming throng was a woman I wrote about many years ago, Mary Catherine Hale, a witch in hiding from an army of thugs. Merikat could not be seen because the men within the crowded town hall were not looking for her. In the shape of a black cat, she slipped carefully between their legs. Fear gripped her heart tightly, but she would not flee. Instead, she made her way as close to the front of the crowd as she could. She settled at the front of the stage and waited. There are so many of them, she thought, her fur standing on end. Her mother would have called this an unnecessary risk, suicidal even. And if her mother was still alive, Merikat would have agreed with her. Merikat wanted to believe that wherever Meredith Hale was, she would understand why her daughter was taking the risk. Why she couldn't spend another sleepless night wishing she could do more to help her witch sisters and brothers. I can't save them all, but I can save one. A pair of men stood on the platform. One was old, probably in his 80s, dressed in an ornate robe. Merikat recognized him as Josiah White. The other was closer to middle age, dressed in a tweed suit, gray black hair unkempt. Between them and the crowd was a line of guards, men in black uniforms with the letters NSS on their shoulders. Those letters sent a flurry of associations through Merikat's mind. NSS, the New Salem Society. Puritanism reborn in the 2020s, banners proclaiming death to witchcraft, bile and hatred, angry men in mobs becoming faceless men with armor and guns. Even seeing these uniforms sent a shiver up Merikat's spine. The slightly younger man in the suit gestured wildly in the middle of a passionate speech. He was Dr. Oren Sakura. He was a unique figure in the movement, a self-proclaimed intellectual revolutionary. Merikat strained to catch what he was saying. Her hearing was not great as a cat, even worse as a human, but she could hear him well enough. Dr. Sakura's voice boomed. The pro-witch media insists that we are ignorant, uneducated people. But that is not so. I have studied the book of Revelation with the eye of a scholar. The signs are all here if you are armed with the tools to see them. The subject of today's meeting is no ordinary witch. She is a sign that the end times are upon us. He gestured toward the side of the stage. Two of the NSS goons came forward. Between them, staring at her feet, was a teenager. Her hair hung over her face, but it was obvious she was crying. Dr. Sakura continued. Now, many of you already know who this is from the news. Her name is <laughs> quite unique. Isn't that right? Natty Barros. Merikat had seen the report, the house fire on June 6th, how quickly the teen was blamed by everyone, even her foster parents, for burning down their house with black magic. Rage simmered in her belly. Unconsciously, her claws slid out. Dr. Sakura turned to the crowd. Ever since my days at the Chi Kappa 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 Stigma fraternity, I have always had a respect for numerology. 
Our forefathers used numbers to represent important words, a simple code that can reveal the meaning behind a word or even a name. Natty here caught my attention when I spelled her name out in Greek. It became New Alpha Tau Tau Iota Epsilon. The numerological values of these are 50, 1, 300, 300, 10, 5. Added together, that number is 666. Dr. Sakura raised both hands. This girl is no ordinary witch. I have spent my life looking for signs of the beast, and I tell you it is here, in this child's name. Merikat could not wait any longer. The girl would not become another missing person, not while she was here. She crept onto the stage and settled silently in the wings. There, she had a perfect vantage point of Dr. Sakura and his prisoner. She crept over to the girl's side, inspecting her wrists. Zip ties. Perfect. An ordinary cat may have had difficulty with the hard plastic, but not a witch in cat form. In mere moments, Natty's wrists were free. The girl's hands released to her side and she turned. Seeing Merikat, her tearful eyes blinked in confusion. Merikat tried to shout, Run! I'll distract them! Forgetting briefly that in cat form, all she could do was meow. A shadow fell over them. A hand lashed out and caught Merikat by the scruff. As Dr. Sakura lifted her off the stage, she struck at him, feeling her claws scrape across his face. He exclaimed in pain, but did not release her. So much for going unnoticed, she thought. There was only one thing she could do. Four, 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 she thought. A moment later, her fur receded and her ears shrank back onto her skull. She pushed Sakura away from her and the startled man fell back into his podium. Behind him, the audience gasped in shock. Already, she could see the security officers swarming both sides of the stage. Now, fully human, Merikat said to Natty, Look, I'll get you out of this, but I'm going to need you to trust me, all right? The teen nodded. Merikat took a deep breath. In the most powerful voice she could muster, she said to the crowd, You all should be ashamed of yourselves, taking your anger out on a young girl. Let her go! The guards continued to advance, the nearest one drawing a taser from his holster. Orin Sakura stood behind them, stage lights giving his head a sharp halo. Three red lines traced across the bridge of his nose and down one cheek. Fury burned in his eyes, but his voice was ice cold. Subdue them. The guard fired his taser. Merikat braced herself. As the electrode struck her collarbone, she retreated into a part of her mind that was neither awake nor asleep. A vast room full of numbers. Amongst these, she selected the number 304 and muttered it while raising her hands above her head. Instead of flowing into her body, the electricity from the taser shot up through her fingers into the stage lights overhead. They exploded in a burst of sparks and then 
the entire hall went dark. When the lights came back up, the witches were both gone. Dr. Sakura stood over the unconscious security guard's eyes narrowed. He turned to Josiah. Who was that woman? Merikat slumped into a seat on the nearly empty MBTA train car. Her chest stung, two vampiric red scars marking where the taser had struck her skin. Beside her sat Natty. The teen's hands were folded in her lap, but Merikat could tell that she was just bursting with questions. She smiled reassuringly. Go on then, ask away. Are you a real witch? How did you transform like that? And, and the thing with the lights, that was just, wow. Merikat chuckled. <laughs> well, first things first, I'm Professor Hale, but you can call me Merikat. Transformation is one of the first spells I learned. Natty nodded slowly. Before you cast the spell, you muttered some numbers. Oh, well, that's a system I came up with for using spells faster. It's based on a thing called hematria in Hebrew. Basically, every letter corresponds with a number, and that way I can translate spells into simple, executable concepts in an instant. 304 is Barak, the Hebrew word for electricity. So, that psycho was right. Natty's face fell. He said my name had special meaning that I'm going to end the world. Merikat grasped the girl's hand. No, listen, Natty. He would have found a reason to hate you no matter what your name was. Look, 666 is an archaic reference, nothing more. Most scholars think it is a reference to Emperor Nero of Rome. You don't look like an emperor to me. Natty gave a faint smile. The girl didn't seem entirely convinced, neither did she let go of the older woman's hand. Erikat knew the feeling of wanting comfort so badly, but not knowing whether to accept it. When she had lost her mother to the NSS, she would have given anything for a kind hand to hold. She wished she could do more. The world was a deadly place for them both. They would have to go on the run, to where Merikat didn't know. Ever since the witch hunts took her mother all those years ago, her life had been a solitary one, always on the edge of discovery and disaster. She had saved Natty, only to welcome her into the same precarious existence. As if prompted by her unsettled thoughts, their train shook and stopped. Merikat leaned forward, peering down the train, they were in a dark, underground part of the track, no station in sight. The doors by the driver creaked open. She stood, pulling Natty up with her. Time to go. She pressed a hand against the train window. 390. Tendrils of cracks began working their way across the glass. In Merikat's spare hand, she could feel Natty's palm growing sweaty. Hurry. One second, 
It's not shattering. Of course. Subway windows are made of laminated glass. It wouldn't break out like a normal window. NSS officers closed in, batons raised. Merikat moved Natty behind her, holding up her hands towards the advancing officers. She couldn't think of a spell that could stop these weapons, but if nothing else, she could prevent the men from hitting Natty. Black gloves reached out to pull her away from the teen. They stopped at the sound of a strange voice behind them. Excuse you, there is more than one witch on this train. Merikat looked towards the sound. Someone was standing by the front of the train. They wore a loose flowing tunic and trousers, and their hair was a bright green. They grinned, adjusted a pair of wraparound shades, and charged. The green-haired attacker moved with the practice speed of a martial artist, ducking and weaving through the cramped train car. The guards were distracted, but Merikat wasn't going to bet their safety on a random stranger. She said to Natty, Hold on, we're about to start moving. Train 627, cart 41, move 54. With an immense amount of concentration, Merikat undid the brakes of the train, causing the train to slide. This allowed them to move faster, picking up speed with each passing moment. Merikat, help! Merikat whirled around to see Natty. One of the NSS officers had grabbed her and was carrying her towards the back of the train, away from her and the green-haired martial artist. Merikat raised her hands and shouted, 860! One of the handbars snapped free and swung out, striking the man hard in the side. He flew limply into the window. The plexiglass crack spiderwebbed outward but did not break. Natty ran to Merikat and grabbed her around the waist. The two of them held on tight as the train shook, going faster and faster. Lights flashed by the windows. With each flash, Merikat saw the stranger illuminated in a different part of the train, striking the NSS agents wherever they were weakest. Once, twice, thrice. By the time the train stopped, the fight was over. The green-haired individual stood victorious. The stranger groaned, cracked their knuckles, and walked up to Merikat. They offered a hand. Hiya, my name is Loon. I was sent to get you two out of here. Merikat eyed them suspiciously. Who sent you? Some people who know the perfect place to hide. Ah, this should do nicely. Loon strode up to the fractured window, reached in their pocket, and produced what looked like a small roll of silver measuring tape. They set one end of the tape at the top of the window, then worked it around the edges. When they were finished, they clicked a button on their wrist. The plexiglass seemed to bend outward, shimmer, and then it dissolved altogether into a wave of sunlight. Through the hatch was a clear blue horizon. Stunned, Merikat stepped through. Her feet landed on solid stone, a tower overlooking an island. She turned back to see Natty following her, their rescuer bringing up the rear. Once everyone was through, the MBTA window vanished entirely. Where are we? The Isle of Patmos, Loon said. 
safe haven for those who practice witchcraft. Merikat felt her eyes welling up with tears. She could feel magic in the air, strong and unbroken. Tension melted from her body, and she almost collapsed with relief. She took Natty's hand and said, I think... I think we're going to be okay. In all honesty, she didn't know if she was speaking more to Natty or more to herself. She could only hope Natty would feel the same. Thousands of miles away, Dr. Oren Sakura knelt in a dank cave, circled by flickering candlelight. He was surrounded by men and women in rust-colored robes. They were not part of the NSS. They were his own personal followers, people who could be trusted with his deepest secrets. Resh, Samek, Kof, Mav, Resh. Someone whispered in his ear. Doctor, you missed a call from Josiah White. Orin sighed. What did he want? The assistant dutifully relayed the message. The NSS has tracked the Barrow Skull to an island in the Aegean Sea. The group is marshalling their forces to crush the witch menace once and for all. It will be a great battle where the righteous will surely prevail. Orin sat with this news for a moment. The Isle of Patmos, just as foretold. It had taken years to perform all the proper rituals, even longer to convince the NSS that he was a God-fearing Puritan like them. Those fossils thought that by destroying the witch sanctuary at Patmos, they would be defeating Satan. But in doing so, they were playing right into the Antichrist's hands. He stood, time to go to Greece. Coming up, we prepare for the end of days. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the podcast series Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican, to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD, and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. (laughs) 
On the eastern end of the Aegean Sea, the island of Patmos sat calmly, a jewel in the bright blue waters. And set upon that jewel was a fortress bustling with activity. After walking through Loon's portal, Natty Barros stared in awe at the vaulted ceilings and immaculately woven tapestries on the walls. Around her, witches of all ages and genders moved this way and that, a thriving community from a thousand backgrounds. Mere hours ago, she had been in the hands of a witch hunt. Now, she was among a coven of witches she never knew existed. What a day it had been. Before she met Mary Catherine, she had thought of her own magic as something shameful. She had tried to suppress it, tried to ignore the fire inside her, to no success. Her parents had abandoned her once they realized, and her life only had gotten worse from there. Until Merikat rescued her. Natty looked up at the middle-aged woman by her side. Natty wondered if she too had once felt ashamed of her magic. How long it took for her to accept her true self. She felt a swell of affection for Merikat as the two of them followed Loon through the arched hall. They stopped by an enormous stained glass window. Loon called out, Hey, Madam White, I found them. Loon was addressing a late middle-aged woman in a deep blue robe. She beamed at the new arrivals. You made it. Welcome to Patmos. I'm Sadie. Beside her, a heavily scarred chihuahua and an eye patch gave them the once over. To Natty's shock, it spoke. Are these the apocalypse gals you was looking for? The tall one smells like a cat. Natty stepped back. Loon had called the old woman Madam White. All she could think of was Josiah White, the man who had been condemning her mere hours ago. What do they want from us? Something stirred in the older witch's eyes almost like she could hear Natty's thoughts. Sadie bent down to look at the teenager eye to eye. We want you to be safe, that's all. This haven, Sadie said, had been founded in the early 2020s by four witches, Sadie, her mentor Marina, and two of her peers named Gia and Riley. Of the four, Sadie was the only survivor. Marina, Gia, and Riley had died saving witches from the New Salem Society. The dog, Poe, had been Riley's familiar. Loon laid a hand gently on Natty's shoulder. They said, Sadie would like to talk some things over with Merikat. Why don't you and I get some lunch? I hear Blair is preparing quiche. It had been ages since Natty's last meal, so she went without complaint. Before too long, she found herself sitting beside Loon on the battlements, tucking into a quiche. The sun was setting over the Aegean Sea, turning the horizon a fiery orange. Natty tried to keep her emotions in control, but soon she found herself crying with each bite. Loon didn't say anything, and Natty was grateful for that. When she was ready, she spoke. Why couldn't my parents give me a different name? Anything that didn't add up to 666. If they were still around, I'd make them change it. 
Loon chuckled. <laughs> I changed my name when I was your age. It's still an option. Natty looked up at Loon. They were unlike anyone she had ever met, confidently gender fluid and unashamed to dress like a witch. If this coven could produce someone like them, maybe it was the best place to be. Did you grow up here? Loon lowered their shades, revealing hazel eyes. Pretty much. I was just a baby when the witches adopted me. Gia was the best mother I could have had. Natty looked back to her quiche, breaking off a piece of the crust. It must have been nice to have a family that cares for you. Doesn't give you up for adoption when you start showing signs of magic. Well, the grass is always greener, kid. My birth mother was a founding member of the NSS. She blamed Gia, well, all witches really, for kidnapping me. And don't get me started on Sadie's father. Whew. I hear you've already met that nasty piece of work. They looked out across the horizon. Sometimes it's better not to know. The sky was now a dark red, the sun touching the sea. Rising against it was a large black shape dotted with red lights. Loon stood, fumbled with her belt, and produced a pair of binoculars. Their face went pale. I'm going to need you to get inside, Nanny. Follow the stairs to the basement. There's a shelter there. In mere moments, the entire fortress was teeming with movement. Younger witches gathered in their classrooms and went below, while the adults gathered on the ramparts. The air filled with broomsticks as one by one, the witches took to the sky. Loon joined them, mounting a glider. Natty gave one last look before turning and disappearing inside. Flares and gunfire lit up the evening sky as she shut the door behind her. What had once felt like a bustling mansion was now as cold as a submarine. Red lights colored the once welcoming halls. The witches Natty passed were in full battle attire, what seemed to be a sort of Kevlar studded with crystals to replenish their energies. Natty did as Loon suggested, following the stairs down and down, but she did not get far. Before her eyes, one of the immense stone walls burst and fell inward. Rubble and broken glass went everywhere. NSS soldiers poured in, weapons screaming in the close corridors. Magic repelled the invaders. Sometimes a gun would turn back on its owner, sometimes grenades detonated before leaving their belts. Blood was thick in the air, red on the walls. Panicking, Natty turned and ran from the fighting. Down one corridor, then another. She didn't even know where she was going. She just had to get away, had to get out. A door let her out onto a cliffside, green in the fading twilight. From outside, the battle looked strangely calm. A massive airship loomed over the fortress, its shadow growing longer as it approached. Witches on broomsticks circled it like bees around a hive. She felt, for a delicate moment, safe from the violence. Until a familiar voice spoke in her ear. Hello, Miss Barros. We meet again. She turned. Dr. Oren Sakura stood before her, 
no longer dressed in his professorial tweed, but in a deeply black suit lined in red. He was flanked by men and women dressed in a bloody brown. As these acolytes seized her arms, Dr. Sakura tapped out a code on his wrist. What are you doing? Nadi cried out. Oh, just giving my pious colleagues a bit of closure. He paused, as if lost in thought. We have a lot in common, you and I. It's all in the numbers. Natty fought against the iron hands holding her in place, but they would not budge. Dr. Sakura did not seem to notice. You know, there's a highway in New Mexico that used to be called Route 666. On it is a sharp bend famous for traffic accidents. My birth parents died there on the Devil's Highway. And it was that event, that tragedy, which gave me my purpose. Then another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Dr. Sakura stopped speaking suddenly, as if caught. Instead of being relieved, Natty's heart sank. She followed Sakura's gaze to the robed man who had just arrived. Wicked eyes glinted above the beard of Josiah White. Orin, congratulations. You found the Antichrist. This will be a glorious victory indeed. Orin bowed and said, I could not have done it without your help. Josiah laughed then, a strange, bitter sound. <laughs> without my help? You're always so presumptuous, Doctor. You best remember, this is my crusade, not yours. A pair of armored NSS guards pushed Dr. Sakura aside. The rust-colored acolytes flinched as if they too had been shoved. Natty blinked in confusion. Were some of these soldiers loyal to Sakura alone? So many things were happening all at once, and soon, soon it would not matter. Josiah approached Natty and raised a pistol. He looked down the gun barrel at her. Confess your sins, and you will be admitted into heaven. Natty kept her expression blank. If these were going to be her last moments, she wouldn't show fear to this man. She took a deep breath and heard a woman's voice from the shadows. I don't think so, father. Static shimmered in the air. The pistol in Josiah's hand jerked upward, jamming itself under his chin. Sadie White stepped out of the shadows. Blood caked her singed robes and her breath was labored, but her eyes were full of fire. Josiah let out a strangled cry before his pistol discharged. The cliffside dissolved into chaos. A dozen things happened at once. The guards in brown attacked the guards in black. The guards in black fired wildly at both Sadie and their new enemies. Natty thought she saw Loon's green hair weaving in and out of the fray. 
She saw a black cat too, claws unsheathed and teeth bared. Professor Hale! The witches had come to rescue her. Yellow, white and green flashed across her vision. She looked up to see the steel belly of the airship painted red by its own emergency lights. A great red dragon. Natty's vision swam. She swayed on her feet and fell to her knees. As the sounds of the fight died down, she breathed in and out, trying to steady herself. Then she raised her eyes. The fight had been brutal, but decisive and brief. Natty looked back at the scene around her. Most of the foot soldiers were down, as was Sadie. Poe, the dog familiar, rushed to her side a moment later, licking her unmoving face. Merikat, now in human form, helped Loon to their feet. Natty's eyes fell to the ruined face of Josiah White. She gulped and averted her eyes. She felt no sense of victory or even relief. The sense of loss was too great. To her dismay, Oren Sakura stood by the ring of bodies, infuriatingly unharmed. The three scars Merikat had given him earlier glittered in the lights from the airship. You've given me quite a chase, little girl, but it's all over. I'd like to thank you for getting rid of that nuisance. Natty felt drops of rain land on her forehead. A storm was brewing. Dr. Sakura smoothed his hair back. Those Puritans gave me all the access I needed, all the right buttons to push, everything required to bring about revelations. He pointed to the darkened sea. Natty gasped. The waves stirred, as if something deep, something huge, was awakening. A beast, rising out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns with ten diadems, and on its heads were blasphemous names. It was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and the dragon gave it his power, and his throne, and great authority. Merikat groaned. <sighs> of course, Oren Sakura, an anagram of Nero Caesar. So obvious. Dr. Sakura shrugged. That was sort of the point. How else could my followers find me? I had to pretend to be a good little boy so that Josiah would never suspect he was helping the Antichrist the whole time. And now, both the witches and the witch hunters lie defeated at my feet. Natty felt her fists ball in rage. She wanted Merikat or Loon or anyone to throw this man into the sea. But one look told her that her friends were too weak, too battered to do anything but talk. And then, Merikat laughed, long and loud enough for Dr. Sakura's grin to falter. She shook her head. <laughs> you think 666 makes you the 
Antichrist? I've got news for you, Doctor. It's all confirmation bias. All of it. 666 isn't even the number of the beast in original translations of Revelation. It's 616. Face it, Oren. You're no Antichrist. You're a hack magician with a made-up name. A swell of pride rose in Natty's chest. Merikat wasn't just stalling Dr. Sakura. She was attacking the very ideas that he had used to persecute Natty. In that moment, she saw the man for what he was. Just a man. She shouted, Merikat is right! We've heard enough of you! She stood, holding Josiah White's gun in her hand. She raised it and said, 305, Esh. She gave Merikat a wink. It means fire. She pulled the trigger. Instead of a bullet, a jet of flame shot out of the barrel, encircling Dr. Sakura like a snake. He muttered furiously, unintelligibly, reciting every spell he knew, unsuccessfully. When the fire closed on him, he did not scream. His form knelt and then fell on its side like a lifeless mannequin, burning until only a charred skeleton remained, sizzling in the rain. The four survivors gathered on the cliff, Merikat, Loon, Ho, and the teenager who was supposed to end the world. Below them, the sea still surged. Above them, storm clouds flashed with lightning. The NSS airship smoked and droned like a dying whale in the blackened sky. As they watched, a huge, dark shape rose from the water, mountainous claws reaching for the helpless airship. A beast. Merikat said, Gather the other survivors. Tell them our coven is on the move. Slowly, they left the cliffside, venturing into a future of unknown terrors and dangers. Natty was the last to go. The world as she knew it was over. But she was with her people now. Perhaps, perhaps she would live to build a new one. I look out onto the same horizon as I work to transcribe their story. In the end, Merikat was right about the number 666. It is only what we make of it. To some cultures, it isn't even particularly sinister. In China, It is a favored number that means things go smoothly. I'm sure they appreciate the irony. Whatever the authors of the Bible meant with this number is practically irrelevant at this point. But hexocosioi hexoconta hexophobia, fear of the number 666, is very real. The unclear meaning of the number, if anything, makes it scarier to those who believe it's a sign of the beast because we fear the unknown more than we fear the devil. This was story number 81 in my collection of superstitious stories. The collection 
is not finished, and it may not survive the calamities that Dr. Sakura unleashed. If this telling is all that remains, I, Alastair Murden, will close with these questions. Can our beliefs make the impossible happen? How much of our world is magic? And how much is superstition? Thanks for listening. You can find more Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoyed the stories in this show, you can find more of our work in the Spotify originals Mythology, Tales, Haunted Places, Urban Legends, and Mythical Monsters. Remember, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brendan Hawkins, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Superstitions was written by Robert Teamstra, with writing assistance by Stacey Lee Nemec and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petras. I'm Alastair Murden. <laughs>